If you have your Bibles, take them out to Acts, uh, open them up to Acts 16. We're going to continue in our series, Unstoppable, and hopefully you're enjoying the series, that God has called the church to be unstoppable, but he's also called us as individuals to be unstoppable for him. Uh, if you don't have the message outline, you can pick that up right at the center doors there at the ministry counter and follow along with uh, the message this morning. We're, we have all been called to be on mission for God, amen? And, and it, that mission may take us to other parts of the world where God has called us to be on mission, to move in their neighborhoods and our communities with the life-changing message of Jesus. We're to be on mission. We're going to move at all times. And we're to move at all circumstances in our life. During the week when I'm in the church office, many times what I'll do is, I'm a person that I, I assign myself task, and I like to write them down on a post-it note or a little sheet of paper, and when I finish those tasks or those whatever it is, I like to check them off or cross them off. Any of you like that? You like to do that? You like to check them off? So I have all kind of post-it notes all over around my desk or sheets of paper, and it makes me feel good to throw them away. But, but they, we're driven by our schedules. We're, we're driven by our devices. We're driven by accomplishing things. So it becomes, it becomes kind of life becomes reduced to tasks, don't they? Like a, on my app, an app from my phone or maybe from my computer or on a sheet of paper, these tasks that we have to accomplish. In the process, what can happen and what happens in my life sometimes is we just blow by people, don't we? And we forget that we're on mission, that all of us to be on mission. My hunch that all of us can identify with what I'm talking about, because I do it the same. I do it the same way. And we know we're supposed to be on mission, but life is just so busy. And it seems like life just passes us by, and our lives get filled with all kinds of things in our life. And they're not bad things. They're good things. But we forget why we're here on this earth. And uh, I have an idea that I think will help us with that. Forget, remind me to tell you at the end of the message. I'm not going to tell you now. Remind me at the end of the message. Tell me, will you do that? Remind me, say, Pastor, remind us that something will help us to accomplish this in our lives. So if you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were on mission. Paul and Silas were on their second missionary journey, and they worked their way in and through Asia. Remember, the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak the word of God in, in Asia. So they wanted to go up to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit stopped them to go through Bithynia, so they went into Europe. A Macedonian call, they responded to that Macedonian call as they were seeking out the will of God for their lives. And now they arrive in Philippi. And it's interesting that God had to close two doors for them before he opened up the one door. And the one door that he opened involved some suffering that they had to go through. And the will of God is not always measured in smooth waters, is it? But what the point here, in every situation... We can be on mission for Jesus in every situation of life. And if you have your outlines, three times when mission can happen. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are three times that we see it happens in this passage. And number one, mission can happen while we are going, while we're just doing life. While we're just doing our thing, mission happens. Let's read Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, when we see we, we see the writer of the book of Acts is there. Luke is there, the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also the one who wrote the book of Acts. He's there. It says we. Once we are part of this, Paul and Silas, and Luke is there. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. There are two words that really bother me in this passage, in this verse. I don't know if you're bothered by the same two words. And the two words are her owners. 
that bother you? Possessions. The things are to be owned. People aren't to be owned, are they? People aren't to be owned. Well, we see that here. We find that exists today in our world today in all kinds of different ways. It existed in the first century and existed even before that, that people weren't content to possess things, but people wanted to possess people and profit from the people and make money from the people and not caring for the people. They want to possess them. Human trafficking is a huge problem in our world today. Is it a huge problem in the United States? Yes. In many of our big cities, it's a big problem. But not only are big cities, you'd be surprised at the small cities and even small towns where human trafficking is a big problem. It's a big problem. And we should all fight against human trafficking because no person, nobody should ever have an owner. Things are to be owned, not people. So we should not have an owner. Verses 17 and 18. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Paul was doing what Paul was called to do. Paul and Silas were sharing the gospel message. And Lydia got saved. We presume others came to know Jesus Christ, their Savior, and they were baptized. And Paul was doing all this. Then all of a sudden, this lady comes who is demon-possessed and who's owned by other people and she's who are profiting from her. And she's doing fortune-telling. She's telling the futures. And people are paying her for this. And she's giving that money to her owners, to these guys that own her. And she starts following Paul and Silas. And she is saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? Were these guys, Paul and Silas, from the, were they from the Most High God? God had sent them. And they were telling the people the way to be saved, the way to have a relationship with God was through Jesus. Was that the truth? That was the truth, right? So what's wrong with what she's doing there? What's wrong with it? I mean, she's saying the truth. The problem is, this can be very confusing to the people who were living in the city of Philippi, a people of about five to 10,000 people. First, because the Most High God may be understood differently. Perhaps they would look at him to refer to him as Zeus, which is the chief god of the Greek pantheon. The Greek gods are false gods. You all understand it, right? Zeus and all them are false gods. In God, there's only one true God. And it's the almighty God who created everything, right? It's God. God of heaven and earth, right? And God is not Zeus. Those are false gods. And God does not want to be associated. Want anybody think that he's Zeus? He's not. There's only one true God, and it's God. All those are false gods. Maybe even a bigger problem is there is kind of a disconnect between what she is saying there that the people know uh, in the town what they know about her, that this woman is demon-possessed, and she's doing all these things by the power of a demon. And now she comes to Paul and Silas and following him and said, these, these are servants of the Most High God who are telling people the way to be saved. What we find there, there's a disconnect because her life doesn't represent the message, right? Doesn't represent the message. Doesn't reinforce the message. Because her message comes from a demon possession and from the demon power. Paul and Silas are coming from God and God's power. There's a disconnect. Her life doesn't represent the message. So it doesn't reinforce it. And they don't want anything to do with that. What I find interesting about this, it was troubling to Paul, that what would you do in this situation if you were Paul and Silas? And what I find in every situation in Acts chapter 16, that these men, Paul and Silas, were on mission, 
but they did things that were counterintuitive to what you would expect them to do. In every situation in Acts chapter 16, they do what you wouldn't expect them to do. Paul and Silas were preaching, and she's doing this. This lady's following him day after day after day. It's got to be annoying. It's got to be troubling. It's got to be frustrating. All these things that you're doing. And if you were Paul and Silas, maybe you might say to God, say, God, this lady's hindering our ministry. Stop her. I don't care how you stop her, but get rid of this lady. She's just troubling. It's just annoying. But Paul didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. You look at the passage. Paul didn't see her as an obstruction to ministry. Paul saw her as ministry. There's a huge difference. And, and Paul, so he turned to her and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Speaking to the demon, Paul had a love for people that transited what they did and even who possessed them. He didn't care. Their ministry. Paul didn't see an obstruction. He didn't say, oh, this is in the way of my ministry. Paul said, this is the, another way for me to minister to somebody else. And it's a different way to look at ministry, isn't it? So many times we get in ministry, we see something that hinders us or see kind of blocking. We say, oh, man, there's an obstruction. But it's not. It's ministry. It's ministry. God wants us to minister our way through that and to serve and, and to reach others and all those kind of things. We can do mission for Jesus while we're going, while we're just doing life. And it may be at a fast food restaurant where God has you to minister to somebody. It may be while you're sitting on an airplane, recognizing why that person sitting next to you was strategically placed there by God, and God wants you to imprint on them the life of Jesus, to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we're going, while we're doing our thing, while we're just doing life, we're called that there's people out there that need to know Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus, and God has called us to do that. We look at Paul and Silas, they were on mission. They were always on mission, ready to do God's will wherever they went. They're looking for those opportunities. Another time when mission can happen, mission can happen in our suffering, in our suffering. Look at verses 19 through 21. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. This is so upside down to me. This is so backwards what is happening here. Because this disturbance came when the owners of this woman, that's the disturbing part, right? The owners of this woman. Not that she was delivered from a demon. They're saying the disturbing part is this woman was delivered from a demon. That's not the disturbing part. It's that they own her. She was a possession to them. Let's go on to verse 22 through 25. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas, they have to be there scratching their heads and say, what are we in prison for and why were we beaten? Oh, yeah, because we healed someone, right? We healed them from a demon. Oh, that's why. And also because we were causing the disturbance. Remember, we were causing the disturbance because we, we affected the bottom line of this little business that these guys owned, and they didn't like it. So he came after us. And so Paul and Silas, the Bible says, was clo their clothing was taken from them. They were stripped of their clothing, and they were flogged severely. What that means is they were beaten almost to death. 
beaten terribly, almost to death. And then they were put in prison. And the jailer is told to watch them closely. So he puts them in an inner cell, and he puts shackles on their feet so they can't escape. So they're there, beaten half to death, almost dead, and they're shackled there. And here's the part that is startling. Here's the part they just say, man, I can't believe what they're going to do here. Would it be if you were in prison and you were there for healing somebody and you got beat because you did a good thing to somebody and you healed them, would this be, an, uh, would this be a time for you to maybe grumble and complain and groan? Would that be an option in your life? That you would be, boy, they've treated me so terribly. Couldn't somebody just come and, and heal, help me with my wounds? I'm feeling so bad. Why don't somebody just come and help me and complain and groan and grumble the whole time there? But what were they doing? What were Paul and Silas doing? The Bible says they were singing and praising God. Think about that. These men were almost beaten to death. And they're standing there singing and praising God. Maybe one of them says, hey, let's sing Christ alone. Another says, hey, now let's sing our God reigns. And they're singing and they're praising God and they're worshiping God. Did it make their wounds feel any better by doing that? Let's be honest, probably not. Probably not. Their wounds were feeling any better, praising God and all that. But they're on mission. And when you're on mission, Jesus Christ is to the forefront of your mind. Jesus Christ is first. And everything else is secondary in their life. Their hearts and minds were upon Jesus and on mission for him. What we do know that happened there that night, the other prisoners were listening to them, and it was making a deep impact in their lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, was a man on mission. He was a German pastor and theologian, and he resisted the Nazi regime. He was put in prison, and he endured a lot of suffering, but he stood strong. He did not give in. And Bonhoeffer at one point said, anything short of complete obedience is cheap grace. We need to listen to that. Anything short of complete obedience, he says, was, was cheap grace. Bonhoeffer stood up when the church, in many cases, didn't take a stand. And he was one that stood up. And Bonhoeffer died just a few weeks before he was released. He released from prison. But let me ask you a question, though. What stops your worship? What stops your singing and worshiping and praising God? You ever think about that? That maybe you've come in this morning and you've had a rough day. Maybe you've had a rough week and you're a little upset with God. And maybe you're upset with your spouse or your children or parents or a friend or your boss or whoever it may be. And you're here this morning saying, you know, God, I'm just a little upset because you didn't help me this week. And because of that, I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to lift up my voice to you this morning. I'm just going to keep my hands in my pocket. And those words on that, on that screen up there, I'm just going to read them. But it doesn't mean really anything to me. Is that where your worship is? What does it take to silence our song? What does it take to silence our worship in our hearts and minds? Suffering? Getting beaten half to death? Couldn't silence Paul and Silas. Couldn't silence them. Someone could argue, wait a minute. In the midst of suffering, I know during that time, then I would be praising and worshiping God. You really believe that? I don't think you would. 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 I can't prove it, but listen to my reasoning. I think if we don't praise God in the absence of suffering, chances are we won't praise God in the midst of suffering. If I'm not praising God today, what makes me think that I'm going to praise God in the midst of, of going through difficult times? See, this is the time, guys, where we're to be praising God and worshiping Him and lifting up our hearts and minds and singing praises from everything that we have. 
raising our hands and raising our voices and worshiping the one who is worthy, the one who sustains us, the one who gave us all for us, the one that sent his son and Jesus went to the cross to die on the cross for our sins. Doesn't he deserve our worship? Doesn't he deserve our praise? Doesn't he deserve us to, to not just sing with, those are just words on a sheet and just my hands in my pocket, my mind is wandering, but those should be words that speak from my heart, that they're meaningful, and I share them, and I worship, and as we open up the Bible, these are words that are truth and meaning, that I, that I understand what he did for me, I understand who he is, and I'm pouring out my heart to him. Every time we worship should be a time where I'm giving everything I have to you, Jesus, not just I'm going through the motion, not just going through it. We're called to live a mission. We're called to die on mission. And that suffering may not be about us. It may not be about a rescue, but it's about a message. And that message is Jesus. That everywhere we go, we're to give out that message of Jesus. How do people praise God in the midst of suffering? A while back, I was reading an article, and it, and it says that people don't look at Christians to have their lives together, but they look to see how we respond when it's not. And it's so, so important for us to understand it. Because so many times we think, well, people are looking at us and they want us to have our lives together. No, they don't care about your lives together. They want to see you and see how you respond when things go wrong, difficulties. How do you respond? Are you different from the world or do you act just like the world? Do they see that assurance and trust that you have in God? Or do they see the same worries and anxiety and stress that the same world that the world has out there? Or they see you responding differently. That's what they're looking at. That's what they want to know. So in our suffering, we're in that hospital bed, and, and we're in pain, and the doctors come in, the nurses come in, the medical staff come in. Is it possible that all that is happening so that you and I can be on mission, that we can share that life-changing message to one of those doctors, to one of those nurses, to that med one of those medical staff, to that person sitting next to us in bed, is it possible that God allows all that to happen so you and I can be on mission? Absolutely it's possible that God allows that to happen in our lives. See, we're, we're on mission as we go. We're on mission in our suffering. We're to be on mission is what we're supposed to be doing. And everything that we do, look for opportunities to be on mission in all circumstances, at all times, to be on mission. Another time mission can happen Mission can happen in our surprises. They can happen in our surprises, the thing that we don't expect to come up in our lives. Let's look at verses 26 through 29. <clears throat> Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before, before Paul and Silas. So Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're, they're singing, and everybody hears them sing. I mean, there's not one person at prison that doesn't hear Paul and Silas singing. And then an earthquake happens. The Bible says that the foundation of the prison were, were shaken. The door cells fly open. Their shackles come off their feet. Um, it's a miracle, right? Everybody in the right mind know that's a miracle. Anybody looking at that honestly know that's a miracle. But there are some would say, well, you know, earthquakes happen. Well, earthquakes happen. At least give God credit for the timing, right? 
at least give God credit for the power. That an earthquake happens, the foundation of this prison cell is shaken, the prison doors fly open, the shackles come off their feet, and no one is hurt. That's the power of God at work there, right? You've got to look at that and say, boy, an earthquake happens and nobody gets hurt. How does that happen? When the doors fly open, the shackles come off the feet, but no one gets hurt. God is at work. And what happens here is really a counterintuitive part as well. If you were there and you've been beaten half to death, you're half dead, and it's about midnight, and you're praising God, and an earthquake happens, and you know it's God. You know it's a miracle and God happens. The shackles come off your feet. The prison doors are open. What are you going to do? Be honest. What would you do? I think if it was me, I'd say, man, I'm off the door. I'm running. I'm out of here. I'm down there. Thank you, God. Scratching out off the list. I prayed for the release. You did it. I'm out of here. I'm not going to be arrested again. I'm out of here. But that's not what Paul and Silas did, right? That's not what they did at all. Why? Why didn't they do what you and I probably would have done? Because they were on mission. Is it possible that their earthquake wasn't about rescuing Paul and Silas, but about rescuing a jailer? Is it possible it's about that? The jailer wakes up probably in a compartment connected to the jail. His family probably lived there. Many believe he had extended family living there because there could be a couple dozen people living there. This earthquake happens. The jailer wakes up. He gets up and he tries to figure out what is happening. He sees the doors are all open. He's ready to take his sword and kill himself because if the prisoners are all gone, the Romans are going to kill him. He'd rather die with his own sword than be tortured by the Romans. So he's ready to take his life. And Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And then the jailer asked a question. He, he asked a question in verse 30. It was a smart question. It was the right question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you what he was saying there. He's looking at Paul and Silas and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to have what you have? Because what you have is different from anything I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen people who praise God in the midst of suffering. I've never seen people who are praising God and worshiping, and an earthquake happens, and, soar, and, and cell doors fly open, shackles come off your feet. Instead of running, you're still here. I've never seen this, that you're concerned about me. I want what you have. Tell me how I can have what you have. Sirs, what must I do to be safe? What must I do to have what you have, Paul and Silas? And Paul replies with this magnificent verse in verse 31. Acts 16, 31. If you don't have a highlighter, highlight this verse. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What a tremendous story that we have here. This man is saying, what must I do to be saved? What many people ask. What must I do to have what you have? Because they saw the difference in Paul and Silas' life. And Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. There are some people who look at verse 31, they teach a doctrine that is called household salvation. You ever hear that? Household salvation. They believe that if a man accepts Christ as their Savior, that salvation extends automatically to the entire family. If that were true, we would think we would find that taught clearly throughout Scripture, right? But in fact, we find just the opposite is taught. That every person has a, per every person has a personal responsibility for their own faith. Every person does. You might have a wonderful mom and dad who know Jesus. You might have a wonderful grandparents who know Jesus. And you can be impacted by their faith, but you can't be saved by their faith, right? Amen? You can't be saved by their faith. 
that every person, every one of us, have to personally ask the question. And the question is, what must I do to be saved? The question we must ask, and the response must be what Paul said, we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us have to personally ask that question and answer that question. Every one of us has to do that. That I can't be saved, and you can't be saved by your parents' faith, your brother's faith, your uncle's faith, your grandparents' faith, your friend's faith. Nobody else's faith can save you, but you have to personally come to God with your own faith. The Bible says we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So we all have to come. Every person has to come. Mom and Dad, you cannot save your children. You can impact your children by your faith, but your faith cannot save them. They have to come individually with their own faith and accept Christ as their Savior. We need to understand that. Every one of us has to do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The jailer believed, the Scripture says. Let's read verses 32 through 34. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had to come to believe in God, he and his whole family. I've got a hunch that the earthquake's more about the jailer than it's about releasing Paul and Silas from prison. Don't you? Got a feeling it was more about him. And Paul and Silas were on mission. They weren't prepared for an earthquake. What's a surprise? A surprise. Weren't prepared for the earthquake. Earthquake comes and they're free. They're actually free. The doors are open. The shackles are off. Now they can cross it off their, their list, right? This is the task that needs to be accomplished in my life. They can cross it off. But there's, there's work still work to be done. We see that here. Because of their testimony on mission, because of people seeing their testimony, they had an audience with the man now who was ready because he had seen their faith. He saw their testimony. He saw them standing up for God. They saw them worshiping God. They saw how they lived. He saw Paul and Silas, and now they had a man there who witnessed their faith, who witnessed them being on mission. Now he was ready to respond right there. Is it possible that those earthquakes come into our lives to wake us up many times, to wake you and I up? That earthquakes come with an unexpected accident happens to a loved one. Earthquakes come when an unexpected illness happens to you or happens to a loved one. Earthquakes come when divorce papers are served. Earthquakes come when a retirement portfolio is down. Earthquakes come when we're given pink slips and we lose jobs. Earthquakes come in all shapes and sizes and forms, don't they? And when earthquakes come, there's surprises that shake the status quo in our life, that life isn't the same. Something is shaking us so dramatically. And it should cause us to ask the most important questions in life, like, Lord, what must I do to be saved? Because I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. It leads to dead end and destructions, and it doesn't help me. Is it possible there might be some in this room to here today, you're here because of an earthquake in your life, and you can't figure it out. You're not ready to fall on the sword, but you're maybe here today, and you say, boy, I don't think I can go on. I can't continue to do this in my life. Listen, that's a good place to be, and it really is. It, it, as horrible as that earthquake was, it, it, don't waste it. Because God wants to do something from that earthquake that's remarkable in your life. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. God wants to do something in your life. If you don't know Jesus yet, why not today? Why not accept him today? You've tried it your way. I've tried to do it my way, and it just ends the dead ends, dead end streets hurt, destruction, and I always seem like I fail, and it never does what I think it should do. 
that you need to understand that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But because of our sins, it, it separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. So God sent Jesus and he died on the cross for our sins and he paid for all those sins, all those failures, all those things that block us from coming to God. And, and, and Jesus paid, he was our substitute. He paid the complete price for all of our sins. But now we can come to God, but we got to come to God through his way. The way that he provided was through Jesus. By coming and understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and raised on the third day. And now I come to him and say, God, I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I trust Jesus Christ as my savior that he died for me. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, do that today. By simply coming and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And now I trust Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for me, was buried and raised on the third day. Please do that. If you still have questions, just come up to me after the service say, Pastor, how can I know Jesus for sure? Because that's what you need to know. Not a maybe. I think I know Jesus. I think that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I think that if I died today, that I might go to heaven. No, God wants us to know. 1 John 5, 13 said, Paul, I mean, John writes, I write these things to you so you may know that you have eternal life. And that life is in his son, Jesus Christ. God wants us to know. Not a maybe. He wants us to know that we are his children and that one day I will be with Jesus in glory forever and ever. Amen? If you don't know that for sure, if you say that there's the slightest doubt, please come and see me. God doesn't want us to doubt that we are his children. He wants us to know for certainty, I'm a child of God. The Bible tells us that. And there's only one way, and it's through Jesus. We all need to be on mission, right? We all need to be on mission. Now, you were supposed to remind me about something, right? Okay, you reminded me. That's good. One of the things I do when I get up in the morning is I, is I put on my watch. And it, it, it's a reminder to me of what time it is and all those kind of things. And when you went into a house of a Jewish family for centuries now, uh, in the Jewish house, they'd have this little box at the top of their doorpost called a mezuzah. Have you heard that? A mezuzah. And in that mezuzah, in that box, you would find small copies of, of scriptures that would write in there, like Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. And they would put it in this box and to say that this house belongs to God, and we want to serve God. In this house, we want to live according to the scriptures that are in this box. And that little box, that mezuzah, was a reminder to them that they wanted to live that way. They wanted to live for God. That was a reminder to them. Here's a challenge. Tomorrow morning when I wake up and I put on my watch, it's a reminder to me that I'm on mission. It's not about the bells and the whistles and all the things that this watch can do, but it's about being living on mission. And during the day when I check the time, and I look at the time, and I say, what time is it? It's mission time. That's to remind me that it's mission time. And some of you might use your cell phone this way, and that's the way you look at time. To use that as your mezuzah, to remind you that it's mission time. I'm going to try this, and maybe you look and say, but pastor, shouldn't that come naturally to you, your pastor? I know it should, but it doesn't. And if you're like me, you need a reminder. You need a mezuzah in your life to remind you be a mission time. Because I too can get so focused so many times on the things I'm doing that I forget that I'm supposed to be on mission. And maybe we all need a mezuzah. And I, and I, and I encourage you to do this. Would you try it? Matter of fact, I, I dare you to try it. I double dog dare you to try it. So you've got to do it, right? You've got to do it. If I say that, you've got to do it. No, but I, and, and all jokingly, I'm serious about this. We all need a reminder to be on mission for Jesus. 
So if you do this, and I hope you do, I really hope you do it, to use your watch or your smartphone or whatever you might use to check the time that you look out throughout the day to remind her. And if you do that for the next days and weeks and months, just come up to me and tell me how God gave you an opportunity to maybe stand in a, in a line at the grocery store, maybe at a fast food restaurant, or, or sitting down at a restaurant with the waitress, or maybe at your workplace or with the family member, that God reminded you as you looked at your mezuzah, whatever it might be, that you were on mission. And he gave you an opportunity to imprint the gospel of Jesus Christ or the life of Jesus on someone. Come up and share that story with me. Could you do that? Just go out and share and say, God, God giving me this opportunity to do this. And I'd like to share some of those. Let us try to live our lives as with mezuzah to remind us that this life is more about than accomplishing tasks. It's more about accomplishing uh, something off a list that I write down each and every week. But it's about being on mission. And mission can happen while we're going, while we're suffering, and even in our surprises that God gives us all kinds of opportunities. So when we look at our mezuzah this week and the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come, we look and say, what time is it? It's mission time, right? So I want you to say that to me. What time is it? It's mission time. So we all reminded of that, that it's mission time when I'm out there in the world today. I look at my watch. Oh, no, it's just not. I don't know what time it is right now. 10.30, but it's mission time. It's the time to be on mission. It's time to look for those opportunities in my life. Wherever I go, why I'm going, in my suffering, and in the surprises that come out throughout the day through those earthquakes that happen in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love that you have for us. We thank you so much that you never, ever, ever, ever give up on us. You're not like us but you're different. You're in another category. We praise God that you're like that. You praise God that you're forgiving God, a God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And Lord, every one of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, we have failed. We've tried to live for Jesus. We've tried to do things our way. Lord, I pray for the person, if they don't know Jesus Christ, their Savior, I pray for their souls this morning, that they would realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and they'd realize that Jesus loves them, and he died on the cross for them they might put their faith and trust in Jesus today. I pray for their soul. I pray they might come up and ask me or ask someone else how I can come know Jesus for sure in their life. But Lord, I pray for every one of us that we realize the reason we're here on this earth, the reason we're here after we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior is we're called to be on mission for you. Not to go about our lives and go to work and do all the things we do. Yes, God, you want us to go on to our workplaces, but we go to our workplaces to be on mission for that's the primary. Everything else is secondary. That when I go home with my family, I'm to go home to be with my family to be on mission for you, Jesus. And when I go to, to shop, go to restaurants, yes, I'm going there to buy food or, or to eat, but I'm going there to be on mission for you. Lord, every one of us, we're honest with ourselves, we failed in that. We've now, Lord, we've not taken the opportunities you have given us. So, Lord, help us to realize as we use our mezuzah, as we use our watch, whatever it may be, that you remind us that we're on mission. It's mission time. And Lord, mission time is as we're going. It's in our suffering, and it's in our surprises. And it's in all areas and all circumstances of our life. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds. Let us look for those opportunities that you give us, the little opportunities, the big opportunities. And when the earthquakes come, Lord, let us not run from them, but let us run toward them and say, God, show me what you want me to know through these earthquakes. Teach me. Help me, Lord, to learn. Help me draw closer to you. Help me to stop complaining and, and grumble about the things happening in my life. 
but help me to praise you, God, in each and every circumstance that comes. That's another opportunity for me to know Jesus, another opportunity for me to draw closer to Jesus, another opportunity for me to minister for Jesus, to be on mission for Jesus. Let us have the mindset of Paul and Silas. The obstacles came. They didn't look at it as a hinder. They looked at it as ministry. Let us look at it. Every opportunity that comes in our life as a way to minister, to be on mission for Jesus. Lord, give us the heart. Give us the heart of Jesus. Give us the heart of Paul and Silas that, Lord, they were on mission in nothing. Nothing thwarted what they were focused. They were focused. Nothing took them off the path to being on mission for you. Help us be that same way. Help us to not get distracted. Help us to live our lives for your glory. But Lord, we can't do it ourselves. We can't do it in our own effort. We can't do it in, I, I'm going to force myself to do it. We can only do it as we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to give me the boldness. I need you to give me the wisdom. I need you to give me the motivation to do it. And I pray that for each and every one of us, Lord, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, Lord. That, Lord, the life you called us to live is a life of significance, a life that is worthy to walk because you're worthy. You're worthy. And, Lord, as we continue to uh, worship you today, Lord, that we remember that you are worthy. There's no one that loves us as much as you. There's no one that came and died on the cross for our sins and only you. And, Lord, we thank you. They were called to be on mission. We're called to be unstoppable church and unstoppable people. The only thing that stops us is ourselves. And Holy Spirit, help us to be unstoppable. Help us to live the life you called us to live. It may not go the way we think it should go, but it goes exactly according to the plan that you have for us. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.